good, and uh, we are reminded that sometimes you think you have to be so spiritual for God to use you, but God wants to use us in everyday life. So Shirley had the opportunity to bundle up on Tuesday and to wear winter gloves and a hat and a parka because it was cold. And uh, Shirley was one that helped us uh, fill washer fluid. So Shirley, when you first heard we were filling washer fluid, what, what jumped into your mind? Well, honestly, that's nuts, but <laughs> um, it's just nothing that I'm used to. Oh, hold up, hold up. Um, it, you know, coming from Massachusetts, we just don't fill our washer fluid so much. But then coming to Vermont, I learned, oh, yeah, you do. But I've never done it. And uh, yes, my husband does it for me, and I'm thankful for that. But now I know how to do it. So at first I thought, that's kind of weird. But I wanted to help. And yes, it was cold, still getting used to Vermont winter. And, um, but I, first of all, I only have one hand and not knowing what to do. But when I pulled in the driveway that morning, I'm a very emotional person, but, um, and I saw the hoods up on the cars. I was like, I got chills. I'm like, this is so exciting. And it's such a simple thing. It's such a simple thing. Um, and again, not knowing, but thankfully I was with Sharon and Mike and Mike explained all about where the tube is and all that. So we did, it. you know, I carried the thing and it was such a blessing each car that we did and the trucks and things like that. But the funny part was I finally did one car by myself. So it has like this giraffe, I'll say giraffe neck thing. So I fill it. We had trouble getting the top back on. So we get Jeff, and he comes over, and he goes, who did this one? It's not even filled. Well, I didn't, I don't know. There's, like, more reserved boxes or something. So I said, well, that was me, and I was so excited. I'm sorry. But anyway, I'm saying that with joy because, again, it was just such a blessing. And I don't want to take a lot of time, but it really was fun. It was a blessing, and um, I love Vermont. So, well, thank you. And I Get, love the church. And also, thank you for praying for me for my hand. Give Shelly a big round of applause, please. Thank you so much. And uh, it was, it was just kind of fun to see something so simple but used. And we came into the, the school, and the principal uh, thanked us, and actually, a cousin. Which, if you know our family, we're related to everyone, because uh, that's my mom's fault, because she has such a big family. Like you look at the row behind her, and it's all family. Not that we don't love you. It's just this is this is family. And I go in, and I'm like, wait, I know you. She's like, you don't recognize me, do you? And it's like, no. She's like, I'm Kim. Your cousin's my husband. I'm like, oh well, I'm glad we could serve you. But um, it seems so simple. But uh, Alan Aiken, he came and helped us. And he said, you know, in these days, we don't wash people's feet, but we can help people wash their car. And I just thought, what a great way uh, to put it. But uh, as we pray, I just want to pray for those that uh, they would connect the dots, that God would connect the dots. That we aren't just being nice or kind, but we just want to show God's love in a practical way. And it's because God loves us that we can just serve others. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. For those that we meet, for those that we encounter, for those that challenge our faith and encourage our faith. And Father, we just pray that we might make you known as we know you, as we serve you, as we desire to know your love and to share it with others. 
Father, for those that are battling illness and disease, for those that are looking at uncertain times or even death in the face, we just pray that your comfort, that your presence would be received by them, that you would give them strength and peace of heart and just the hope of knowing their eternity rests in abiding with you. Father, for us that are here, we just pray that you would give us great vision and hope and focus and desire to know you, to love you, to receive all that you have for us, and that we would embrace the conviction because we know that you have the best plan for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in this time together. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, one thing that's certainly amazing is whenever you do a ministry project together, it communicates to others that we are not just for us. And sometimes when you take up a big offering for a specific event, it's nice and there's celebration and you feel like it's going to turn out to be something great. But just feeling washer fluid. I got the same feeling as Shirley did when I drove in. Not that I'm skeptical or cynical, but maybe a little bit. I can sputter. I am a fuller. And so I was like, I don't know how many people are going to be here. What's going to happen? But there were uh, car hoods up, like up. And then there were others that were popped that you had to look. But it was just, just encouraging. Like the school would receive us in and we could just uh, come in that way. So um, thank you everyone that helped. And tithes and offerings, yeah, uh, you, we uh, paid for the washer fluid. We did not get the cheapest washer fluid because they were all out. So we had to get the other stuff. So uh, that's that's what happened. But as we look uh, today, I'm just reminded from Revelation as we started this series a few weeks ago, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is God talking through John in the book of Revelation that he wants us to be useful. So how have you been? How are you being used of or by God? How have you said God used me in a certain way? It could be wash of fluid. It could be going through the four spiritual laws. It could just be interceding for someone or just saying, God, I need your help. How are you recognizing the need for Jesus? Are you being useful? Well, this is from Luke 14. If salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. It has no flavor. It's bland. Uh, I like watching those cooking shows. Anybody? Cooking shows, cooking competitions. And they always talk about you didn't season it. Well, all they mean is you didn't put salt on it. Like it's a fancy way of, oh, you didn't season it. It's like you didn't use salt. But if salt loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. We as Christians are called the salt of the earth. We have a purpose that God wants to use us, but are we being useful? And some would say, well, I used to be useful, but now I'm retired and I'm taking a break. Well, I used to be useful, but you don't know what I've had to go through this week. I used to be, and God would say, like he says, pray continually, be useful continually in everything you do. It doesn't have to be big and grand and seen by people. It is just knowing that God used me today. I was was able to bring hope into a situation. When you enter a place, do you bring God's hope with you? As a Christian, yes, you do. So the deeper question is, do you reveal God's hope 
in that place you are in? Are you useful? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered about Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The first verse says, notorious sinners and tax collectors, they met with Jesus. I heard a sermon about uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Anybody grow up Sunday school, vacation Bible school, you kind of know that song. He was a wee little man. And when Jesus saw him, what did Jesus say to Zacchaeus? Did he say, you need to fast and pray and go repent? Or did he say, hey, let's go to your house and get something to eat? Now, fasting is good. Yes, we all understand that. And I have to be careful because I'll probably be reminded that it's important to fast and pray. I know it's important to fast and pray. But Jesus loved to eat with people. Jesus made breakfast on the beach. Jesus loved to eat. And I was like, oh, yeah, fasting's good, but eating's better, maybe. And so Jesus loved to eat. And he would eat with people. And they would be like, oh, but shouldn't you be more sorrowful, sad for your sin? Well, I think if we understand, pray so God can prepare you. Pray that you can see the opportunity God gives you and pray that you will make the most of that opportunity. If it's eating with somebody, if it's filling somebody's washer fluid, maybe if it's raking somebody's leaves or sweeping somebody's sidewalk, that we are showing people that we are flavorful because God lives in us, not because we're better than anyone, but because we are truly making the most of every opportunity. Romans 8. 26. I like this because it's hard sometimes to be useful. It's difficult sometimes to pray for some people. Now, I don't want you to throw elbows or nudge somebody and definitely don't point. Yeah, they're really hard to get along with. Now, that's not what we're talking about. But And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness when it is difficult, when it is hard, when it's somebody close to you. And you're just like, oh, I should pray for them, but oh, I'm just so mad. I can't get it out. Like, I want the best, but oh, I can't believe they did what they did. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Do you believe, could it be that when you're so frustrated, when you're so upset, but your heart is, Jesus, I want to reveal you, but this person, oh, I just don't have words, that God would translate it and the Holy Spirit would say, I'm going to woo them, whether to repentance or deeper into who I am. He translates that groaning. He comes in our weakness. And the Father who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. When you don't know how to pray, when that person hurt you, when they uh, turned their back on you, when they weren't loyal, and you just don't know how to pray, but you know God tells you to pray, you can just cry out and know that God wants to restore his creation to himself, that we might know him, but we might make him known to others. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This verse, and we're going to look at it with the prodigal son, a story that most of us that grew up in church, we know, we could tell. You could probably preach a lot better than me. And we just know it. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Have you ever thought, well, shouldn't they suffer a little bit longer? 
isn't it true you reap what you sow? So it really isn't fair that they should have good come to their lives because they did something bad. Well, let's look at it. The Holy Spirit helps us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. This is continuing in Luke 15. We talked about the lost sheep and the lost coin. We talked about how Jesus says it's more important to leave the 99 that are safe to go after the one. He talks about the woman that lost the one coin that was part of her dowry that would symbolize that uh, identity, that completeness in her own life. And once they were found, they threw a party. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, this is a parable. This is not a promise. This is a parable to teach something that's true, just like a proverb is not the same as a promise. So we understand that there are things about the story that you might say, why did the father give in to the son's request? Well, because God does give in to our requests at times, knowing it's going to hurt us and there's going to be consequences. But the son said, hey, dad, I want my share right now. We don't understand in our context what he was saying. Hey, Dad, you're dead to me. Dad, you know, if you gain more money, if you buy more land, it does not matter. I do not care. I want what's mine now. You're dead to me. Sobering thought. Sometimes you need to read the Bible with all five senses. Other times you need to think about which character do you relate to and which character don't you relate to. Who is being spoken about in this story? Read the Bible to change, not to finish. Don't say, I have five minutes, so I need to get through this chapter. You can take your time and say, hey, I want to relate to the younger son. I want to relate to the father. I want to relate to the older brother. Who is it speaking of? The Younger son were the notorious sinners and the tax collectors. The oldest brother was the religious leaders, and God, he represents the father. And you can read the story looking at every different character and aspect. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. He wasted it. Now, reading in, which is kind of bad, it's kind of good. So with parables, it's okay to read into the story a little bit. This younger son might say, like, I have all this money now. I have all these resources now. I can live crazy because I can always make more money. I can do whatever I want because I'm always going to have the ability to make more money. Sometimes we take all that God gives us and we think, like, I'm going to take all God's promises and because I think I'm going to have more time, you will always have the ability for more money, but not the ability to generate more time. And so as the story goes, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He thought he had a plan. He thought what he had was going to last and he had a little cushion that he could live how he wanted. He could be selfish. He could do whatever he wanted. But then he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed 
the pigs. Sometimes we have something so planned out, we have it all rationalized. We have it systematically set. So we think if we do this and God will come here, then if he doesn't, then I have this plan. And when we start to figure out things, that's not living by faith, what God tells us to do. That's you have a plan. You have an agenda. You have things figured out when when the famine comes, when COVID-19 happens, when the church shuts down, when half the congregation leaves when things are desperate. Do you have things figured out or do you go back to this proverb, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. So you might think you have a great plan, but your plan is nothing unless you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So he persuaded a local fire uh, farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He was feeding the pigs. Now, it's been said over and over in churches growing up you understand like the jewish culture they wanted nothing to do with pigs this was like the worst thing ever and it's like what would be the context for us i don't know like think about the worst thing and the only illustration i had was a terrible one and i guess i'll give it but understand it's terrible and don't take it out of context but it's just terrible it'd be like if you're one of those crazy non-Christian rednecks that thought slavery was okay, and you thought like the slaves were uh, property, and you thought slaves weren't people, but they were just someone you could just tell what to do, and they had to do it, and you just had a hatred for they weren't people to you, they were just property, and you're just like, oh, it's just so terrible. It's like being aligned with those that you hated. And that's a terrible illustration. That's another reason why slavery is awful and you should not be prejudiced. You have to get over racism. You have to understand that God made people a beautiful creation, but feeding pigs, it'd be like those slave owners that would, but in our context, I could start naming sins that it might be like, but I'd probably leave a lot of sins out. And the sin that you deal with, I wouldn't want to say out loud because we all know, like, we struggle with that same sin. But it's kind of like that, that that thing that you despise, that you cannot believe, that you would say, I'd rather be dead than be in this position. I'd rather give up everything than be in this position. Well, that's what the son did when he said, Dad, you're dead to me. I, I don't want to be part of your family. I don't want this anymore. I'm just going to do this. And he found himself in a place because of his pride. This here, who does the younger son represent? The notorious sinners and tax collectors. Even the notorious sinners and tax collectors would have been offended at this illustration. They would have been, whoa, hold up, Jesus. I thought you were going to say, like, you're for us. I thought you were going to say, like, you're about lifting us up, redeeming us, forgiving us. What do you mean that we are this? Even the notorious sinners would have been offended by this thought. Also a reminder to me that Jesus spoke the truth. He didn't just speak what people wanted to receive. He spoke and said, sin leads to death, and you need my life to have resurrection and hope and forgiveness. The younger son was proud. He found himself alone, and then he was starving. 
In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This is from Judges 21-25. This could be from 2022. This could be from 2004. This could be from 1976. Like this, people did what seemed right in their own eyes because they thought they could find a way. But Jesus was saying there was a better way. There's something more for us. When he finally came to his senses, this is the best one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible. When he came to his senses, when he was feeding the pigs, when he was so upset, when he was about to give up on life, when he was just so hungry, he was starving, he came to his senses. He had the epiphany. The light bulb came on. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. He came to his senses. That conviction he felt that we would say in the common day, the conviction of like this lifestyle is not what Jesus wants. I need something more. I cannot follow my addiction. I cannot give in to this lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of the life. I need to go after Jesus. I will go home to my father and say, he comes to his senses and he starts processing. If I came to my senses, what can I do to have my father receive me? What can I say to have my father welcome me back? What can I do? And that's probably his first mistake. That's a common mistake because we're all like, Jesus, don't I deserve to get some sort of punishment? Don't I deserve to, I have to do the right thing. I have to perform a certain way before you welcome me back. He said, Father, I want to tell him I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Don't I have to manufacture something that I can present to you that's worthy of your forgiveness? Don't I have to come up with something that I've done to lift me up so you will forgive me, that you will wrap your arms of love around me? But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Is he a Christian? I would say probably not. So is this verse for Christians? Yes. So why are you applying it here? Because God is the creator. He's made everyone to become a masterpiece. He wants us all to live and understand that he's called us out of the darkness into the wonderful light. That it's nothing that we do. We can just say, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now prodigal son, now younger son, now one that turned your back on your family, now one that's starving, you have received God's mercy. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, which implies, which you've heard it stated, which means the father was watching for his son to return. The father was not so busy taking care of that prayer request or doing this thing. The father was intently looking, was waiting, was hoping for, could not move fast enough to see that his son was returning. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, one thing I've learned from listening to different sermons, and sometimes you learn more from listening to sermon than doing research because I get bored doing research and I don't pay attention. 
just like school, but you can learn something from a sermon. And remember, this was not done in that culture. The father, the man of the house, the person that ran the show, they would not run because that show, that was a job for the servants. They would not show any emotion. They would just sit there and they would say, bring my son to me. But this father, so desperate to see his son return, got up and ran in his robe, got, in, got up and ran. And people could make fun of us like, ha, that, look at that guy. He's all dressed up. He's not even wearing running shoes. Look at that guy. He's like making a fool of himself. Look at that guy. And all the father cared about was running to see his son who had come home. He embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, Daddy, I, I've sinned against you in heaven. I, I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Daddy, I have all this that I want to say to you. Daddy, you don't understand. Daddy, I want to tell you this, my story. I want to present you my case of why you should bring me back in the house. But his father didn't listen to him. His father didn't even respond. It's like, you're right, son. That's a very good apology. Well, that's really good, son. I'm, gl I'm glad you came to your senses. I'm glad you told me and confessed your sin. The father just said, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. What he was saying was, get my robe. Go get my ring. Go get my shoes for his feet. Clothe my son with my identity. Restore him because, well, he already squandered his half. So what I have left, I'm giving to him. And God is telling us that he has available for us and not just for us, but those that we are distant from, those that we've found it difficult to forgive, those that have hurt us, those that say they despise the church, those that would say, get out of Crossbrook Brook Middle School. A church shouldn't be meeting there. God is saying, I'm intently watching and waiting and can't wait until they return. And he says, let's eat. Go kill that calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, and now he's returned. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. The New Living Translation does not read like the King James Version. But the intent's the same. The party began. Let's throw a party. My son is home. We are complete. This is a time for celebration. Meanwhile, I like movies. I'm not going to tell you which movies I like because some of you might say, well, that's not a very good movie that you should be liking, which maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. I don't know. But in the, a movie, a good movie, like there's a climax and there's excitement. And then meanwhile... Ugh. who is Debbie Downer? Who's the party pooper? Who, the older son was in the fields working. He wasn't partying. He wasn't, he was doing what he was supposed to. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house. And he's like, what is going on? And he asked one of the servants what was going on. The servant Put yourself in the story. I can only imagine the servant just being around, seeing all the commotion, all the excitement about the younger son coming home. The servant probably was so excited to tell the older brother, your brother's back. This is awesome. Your dad, he's throwing a party. We're going to eat. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Isn't this great? And the older brother, which represents the religious leaders, was angry and wouldn't go in. 
Oh, come on, he's back. Don't you know that addiction, he's just going to fall back into it again? Don't you know the reputation of our family that now everybody around is going to say, we welcome him back? Isn't that uh, enabling him for this behavior again? Don't you realize this doesn't make any sense at all? His father came out and begged him to come in. Don't you understand the wages of sin is death? but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Don't you know, like the younger brother, before we throw this party, he should be praying. Don't you know, like he should be confessing his sins. We need to call a priest in before we can eat. Don't you realize like where he's at? Don't you realize that we need to do? The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Rhetorical question, JLS makes fun of me because I think I say it every Sunday or multiple times every Sunday. So anyway, I guess I'll continue it today. So don't answer it out loud. Don't answer it out loud. Don't answer it out loud. Do not answer out loud. Do not answer in your head because somebody might know what you're thinking. So do not answer even in your head. Who is somebody that if they came in today, if they came in next Sunday, you'd be like, oh, they're here. Or what if you had young children? You're like, oh, should we bring our kids in because they're here? What, what are they doing here? Oh, they need it. They need Jesus. I'm glad they're here. I'm going to sit in the back and pray for their soul. The older brother would not go in. Who is someone that would show up to your church, our church, a church, They'd be like, eh, I'm glad they're here. They need Jesus. So a quick, I guess, humble brag. I had the opportunity to give the devotion at the State House again for the Senate, which was really cool. And, um, and before, it was on Zoom, and so I could take a screenshot of everybody on there. And this time, I couldn't really take a picture up front. That, would, that wouldn't look very good. So I didn't do that, so I just took a picture before, and it's empty. But I remember when I took a picture before, I said, like, uh, thankful for the opportunity to give the devotion to the Senate. And one of my friends, one of my good Christian friends, one of my church-going friends is good because they need it. Don't we all kind of need Need God? Don't we all kind of? Why, why would we point fingers? They need it! Instead of like, my sin? Then some people's eyes, was it as big or as bad as their sin? Jesus still had to die to forgive me of my sin? But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Don't you realize I've showed up every single Sunday to set up chairs? Don't you realize I served on the Sunday school board for 39 years? Don't you realize I was the one that would double tithe, not because God told me to, but because somebody needed to pay the bills? Don't you know that I did all this stuff for the church and you never once sent me a card. You never once acknowledged me. You never once. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Like, what are you doing, dad? Like, this is messed up. Well, that's called grace. 
His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me by my side and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Hopefully we can say, thank you, Jesus. I was lost, but now I'm found. Maybe there's somebody like, ah, that's a good sermon, but I don't think they'll ever come to church. Or that person, like, uh, I don't know if I would like it if they came to church. We were actually out of church, and uh, and there was somebody that was coming, and we were praying, and then their ex-spouse showed up at church. <laughs> it's like, wait, we were kind of praying that they would get to know Jesus, but are there other churches? Like, why do they have to come to this church? I don't know. God just does it in weird ways. Now, one point of caution, our friend's church, um, there was a student that was molested by somebody in the community. And their church said, we need to pray for that individual because this is terrible. And their prayers worked. And that person that molested the young child became a Christian. And he said, I, I would like to go to church, but that family that, I, I, can you help me find a church? So my friend said, yeah, we'll help you find a church. You're right that it might not be appropriate for you to come to this church for certain situations, but we will find you a body of believers, people that will encourage you, people that will nurture your faith, people that will help you grow and mature in your faith. And as you repent, that you will know that you are forgiven. As you know that you are forgiven, you can reach out with grace to others. This is what God will call us to. Is this weird? No, you guys have figured out. Easter, two weeks. What a great time to invite people to come to a local church. But even more, you can invite them next week. You can invite them to a small group. You can invite them to a prayer meeting. It does not matter. We just want to be praying and looking intently for God's creation to return to him that we're not given mercy, but now have great mercy in and through the forgiveness of Jesus, our Savior. So I'm going to play a song, and then I'll close in prayer. And the words to this song, well, I find them very meaningful. Uh -huh. 